In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics The Nom, presents... Good morning, Vietnam! Hello and welcome to episode 79 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm taking another break from my usual comics coverage to look at another movie about the Vietnam War. This time around it's a film that was a huge hit in 1987, and that is the Barry Levinson-directed Robin Williams starring film Good Morning Vietnam and I'm going to do what I usually do with the films about the war I'm going to take a quick look at the movie's plot I'm going to give it my review and I'm also going to take a look at the real people behind the film in this case because this does take place in Vietnam which was a real situation of course we've been covering it for now 79 episodes but uh, Adrian Cronauer who is the person Robin Williams portrayed in the film was an actual DJ he's still uh, still alive and uh, this was based on him as a person although um, as you'll see uh, Barry Levinson and Robin Williams took a fair amount of liberty with who Cronauer was personally but uh, this is about the uh, the Armed Forces Radio Service, the Armed Forces Radio Vietnam, which uh, was portrayed in the film as well. So here's a little bit of background before we get into the actual plot. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam was released on December 25th, 1987. So the movie itself is 30 years old at this point. It went on to earn $123.9 million. Uh, that, according to Box Office Mojo, makes it the fourth highest grossing movie of 1987. Uh, one, two, and three, by the way, were Three Men and a Baby, Fatal Attraction, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. 1987 is kind of a odd year for movies. It's one of those years that comes after a, a huge, huge year in terms of box office, uh, kind of like 1985 was. You know, where 884 you had movies like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Gremlins and uh, Star Trek Three, etc. And then in 1985, you have some. You have Back to the Future, of course, and you have have a number of The Breakfast Club and other other movies. But but then it kind of it swings up with 86, where you have like blockbusters like Top Gun and, and Aliens, etc. Star Trek Four, and then 1987 has this sort of um, you know odd mix of of uh, of a few action, really good action movies like Predator and things, but like the blockbusters are like comedies, which we wouldn't really get on the level of a Beverly Hills Cop or a um, or a Good Morning Vietnam or such in, in in the sort of more adult genre until 
later into the 90s when the teen sex comedy followed by stuff like Oh, the hangover into the 2000s would come back. So the you know the, the comedy uh, comedy into the, in the early 90s, you know, the the box office was always sort of I don't know, it's it's to me it's it's, it's a little it's a little interesting to see what was like the number one movie from year to year, especially between like about 1987 and about about like 1996, 1997 when you when you have the the rise of the the disaster movie and things like that again. Anyway, there, the next highest grossing movie about the Vietnam War is a movie uh, in 1987 behind Good Morning Vietnam. It's a movie that I actually already covered. Uh, that is Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. And that was in 23rd for the year with $46 million. Now, uh, this movie actually was written by Adrian Cronauer, or at least the original treatment was written by Adrian Cronauer, and it was written in the late 1970s, which had, and and this had been passed on by both movie and television studios, and it lay dormant for a number of years. And this is something I'll bring up a number of episodes now when I cover Born on the Fourth of July, and is something that I brought up with Luke Jack and Eddie when we talked about First Blood and Rambo that. This is and and you could probably talk about this when you're talking about Apocalypse Now as well. This is yet another Vietnam movie that sat on the shelf in some form or another, where it had been written many years before it actually was made, completed, and uh, premiered. And I don't want to jump to conclusions because I'm really just this is conjecture on my part, but. I can imagine that if you've got these stories from the late in the late 1970s being written or in the 1970s being written when the wounds are still very fresh from the Vietnam War I can see how studios would be passing on them because they might not think that the public is ready for movies about the war especially um ones that well were a little more comedic or a little more or a little less horrific than say the ones that really did start to put the war on the map or that war in per, the war in perspective as far as the you know this war is hell this is this is horrific angle that you got with apocalypse now or the deer hunter or uh later on cunning coming home which um and Coming Home has its own origins in Born on the Fourth of July, which is something I'll talk about in that episode, which is a, a number of episodes down the road. But um, Cornero wrote this in the 70s, and th- they just passed on it and passed on it and just sat there. And then in one of those odd Hollywood stories, it landed in the hands of Robin Williams. Um, and again, scripts, treatments, these sorts of things get passed around. It was the way that Rambo got made, where and well, actually, it's the way that Missing in Action got made because James Cameron's Rambo script got passed around. The Golden Globus got their hands on it, passed on it, and then decided to make Missing in Action. So Williams got this. He thought it would be a good role for him. He thought the role would suit his comedic and improv stylings very well. And as you'll see, it definitely does. And in fact, a lot of the in-booth comedic bits throughout the movie were improvised. And uh, that is a good way to segue into the plot summary of the movie, but I'm going to take a break first. So when I get back, I'm going to get into the movie itself. I'm going to talk about what the plot is, and then I'll give it my review. Stick around. Andy, I have an amazing idea. 
Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great. So, what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. <sighs> Mike, there are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! Uh, I guess we should do a trailer. I think we kind of just did. Yeah, but it's missing something. Like, you should have added music behind us or something. Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great! So, what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. (sighs) Mike, there are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. New episodes drop on the 14th and 28th of every month. The show and the website, www.overlookeddarknight.com, launch in May of 2017. From the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network. Picture a man going on a journey beyond sight and sound. He's entered the demilitarized zone. Good morning, Vietnam! Wow! I Time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God. It's Mr. Leo. You know, this whole camouflage thing for me doesn't work very well. Why is that? Well, because you go in the jungle, I can't see you. If you're going to fight, clash. That is not what we program here. Surprise! 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 You are not funny. <laughs> you're not going to last long here. Boy, do I have a surprise for you. Good morning, Vietnam! In 1965, Adrian Cronauer was sent to do the impossible. I was sent here on very strict orders from a colonel. What the hell's going on here? His mission? To build morale. Where are you from? Off of uh, Cleveland, man. Obviously, Vietnam's not that much of a change for you. His strategy? Keep them laughing. If someone is not telling the truth, you say that they are full of... His problem? Staying out of trouble. You want to stick to playing normal modes of music. Jim Neighbors, Matovani... Percy Faith. Percy Faith, good! Yeah! He did a very off-color parody of former VP Nixon. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP, shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up an MIA, and then we'd all be put on KP. (laughs) Sir, the man is a walking keg of dynamite. 
He's read unofficial news. Ethel Merman jams Russian radar. Hello, I've got a feeling. What's he going to be like in six months? Big dogs landing on my face. What's he going to be like when he's ten times as popular? What's the weather like out there? It's hot. Damn hot. Hot and wet. That's nice if you're with a lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as Airman Adrian Cronauer, the wrong person. Very attractive man, Eversol. Don't think I haven't noticed. In the wrong place. This will not look good on a resume! At the right time. Good morning, Vietnam! What a country. Heat, humidity, terrorism. Still, it's better than New York in the summertime. Good Morning Vietnam opens in 1965 with Adrian Cronauer, who is played by Robin Williams, being greeted in Saigon by Edward Garlick, who is played by Forrest Whitaker, and being brought to the offices of the AFVN, or Armed Forces Vietnam, radio station, part of the Armed Forces Radio Service Network. Cronauer, who is an airman, has been stationed in Saigon to be a DJ, and he's assigned to work under two supervisors, Lieutenant Houck, who's played by Bruno Kirby, and Sergeant Major Dickerson, who is played by J.T. Walsh. Some of his fellow DJs include Marty Drywitz, played by Robert Wool, and Dan the Man Levitan, played by Richard Portnow. Cronauer, having just arrived and just in time for his shift, goes on the air and he immediately gets going. Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da Nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. Da Nang me, Da Nang me. Why don't they get a rope and hang me? Hey, is this a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Speaking of early, how about that Cro-Magnon, Marty Drywitz? Thank you, Marty, for silky smooth sound. Make me sound like Peggy Lee. This also immediately angers both Hauk and Dickerson, who are the antagonists of this story for the most part, and they don't like the way he's flaunting the rules of the AFVN, which is very buttoned up, plays jazz, plays, well, Hauk has this love of polka music for some reason, but, you know, he's playing rock and roll, he's playing, he's using comedic bits, he's being silly, it's definitely undistinguished. So they go right to General Taylor, who's played by Noble Willingham, and they want him off the air immediately. Taylor, who actually likes Cronauer's bits, to be completely honest with you, he defends him. He lets him keep his job, and Cronauer's bits continue during his time there, and he becomes incredibly popular anyway, so he ends up staying. In addition to disc jockeying, by the way, Adrian is also teaching English to Vietnamese students. And he befriends one named Tuan, who is played by Tung Tan Tran. And he also wants to date Tuan's sister, Trin, who's played by Chintara Sukaptana. He teaches uh, all of his students to curse which and insult people, which is actually, uh, well, what you'd expect from a Robin Williams comedy. And he does connect with them. He connects with them on a very personal level. And he even sticks up for Tuan when a couple of GIs harass the kid inside Jimmy Woo's, which is a Saigon bar popular with American troops stationed in, in the city. Later on, Tuan and Cronauer uh, 
are in the bar and they're arguing with one another. And Twan leads Cronauer out of the bar as part of the argument. And then the bar is blown up by a bomb. Two soldiers die in the bombing. Cronauer gets so upset by this that he storms into the offices of the AFVN, grabs a news report about it off the the teletype before it can be censored because this type of news was not reported across the uh, the DMZ or, or anywhere else where American troops are serving, and he reads it on the air, uh, despite the fact that it was supposed to be censored and nobody was supposed to know about it. This is a major violation of protocol. It gets him suspended. And then Hauk, well, Hauk goes on the air in his place and tries to have his big comedic debut, and it goes completely bust. He plays bad comedic bits. He plays awful, awful polka music. And the result is an enormous amount of hate mail and repeated requests for Cronauer to be put back on the air. Taylor decides, General Taylor decides to reinstate Cronauer, but Adrian initially doesn't want to come back. He crawls into the bottle. A few days later, though, he gets stuck in traffic behind the 1st Infantry Division, and he does an impromptu show. I will be in show while we're waiting, and who can tell me who sang the song My Guy? Hi, where are you from? Uh, Boston. Boston, you know who sang the song My Guy? Yeah, shit, I can't think of it. Thank you for playing! Yeah, shit, I can't think of it. That's right. You don't win the case of fish balls and lizard testicles. Thank you for playing anyway. Here it is right now. Hey, what's your name? Patrick O'Miley. Patrick O'Miley. I don't know. I'm just so happy. I'm O'Miley. It's the Irish boy. I'm just so full of semen. I haven't gotten laid yet. I'm sitting out there. I'm the Catholic boy, and I don't know when I'll be getting laid. I'm just going off to Vietnam. Where are you from? From the village, New York. From the village? Well, nice to have you here. <laughs> nice to have you here in Vietnam. Obviously, you just said, well, fuck it. I'll join the army and deal with people in green. <laughs> a special thing to do. Hey, what's your name? Jimmy Wilkes. Jimmy Wilkes. Where are you from, Jimmy? I'm also in New York. Oh, two boys joined together. <laughs> hey, he said, well, I got drunk, man. All of a sudden, I went for a tattoo. Next thing you know, I'm on a fucking truck. What happened? <laughs> well, baby, I don't know what's going down. But you're both from New York. Nice to have you here. Like, you just, like, hanging out. You're headed north. Where are you going to? Not drink. Really, you got to be careful, Jack. That's some heavy stuff up there. That's like Newark after dark. You got to watch <laughs> some heavy shit going down, baby. You feel like George Wallace campaigning in Harlem. Hi, have you seen my face? Get your ass out of here. <laughs> What type of music do you like? You like uh, you like Little Anthony? You like Little yeah. Anthony? Stones. I like James Brown better. You like James Brown better? Yes, sir. And the Stones. Oh, you like Mick Jagger? Mick Jagger, Ryan. Do you think he looks like a photo negative of Little Richard or am I crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, here, uh, I think, I don't know. All right. <laughs> I don't know whether, oh my God, these lips, my God, they're moving. I'm going to flap my eyebrows today. <laughs> Look out, I'm singing, everybody. I'm singing. Oh, get out of here. Watch out. All right. Where are you from? Where are you from? I'm from uh, Cleveland, man. Cleveland? Yeah. I, obviously, Vietnam's not that much of a change for you, then. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys take care of yourself, because you all look like, I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> really? uh, what's the thing in the side of your helmet? What is that thing? What do you got there? Try it out. Well, why don't you try it out? Look at this. Look at that. It says here, it says, what sizes you got, you got. Large, medium, and Caucasian. <laughs> Look at this thing. A little Italian party favor there. Oh, oh, no, boys. Oh, boys and girls. Don't do that. <laughs> Look at this thing. Obviously, this is going like, yeah, check it out. Hold on. How big is this thing? Hold on. <laughs> Black man's going, it's just for the tip. That's all I need. It's a bathing cap. I just like to put a bathing cap. Remember, this is the Vietnamese word, condom. Look, Italian moon lunch. 
There. Oh, geez, it almost blew up in my face. There's prophylactic everywhere, man. It's not a pretty picture. There's pieces of rubber all over his face. I don't know what to say. This performance convinces Karnauer to go back on the air because of the connection he made with the guys right there in the street and the realize, realization that these guys are going off into the jungle. A lot of them are putting their, they're all putting their lives in the line. A lot of them won't come back and he's doing something good for them in the very least, that he, in the very way that he can do it. And so uh, when he gets back in the air, he plays Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World and dedicates it to the 1st Infantry Division. And this song is juxtaposed with images of war and terrorism throughout the country, especially as the news continues to come in that the war is escalating and the number of American troops being sent to Vietnam is going to be increasing as well. Dickerson then takes advantage of an opportunity that is presented to him to send Cronauer into the jungle as a the suggestion is that he go do some road shows, kind of like those USO tour things. Well, he sends him into a location that's controlled by the VC, and he does it on purpose. Hopefully, that he'll get ambushed or lost, or in other ways, in other words, the problem will be eliminated. While on their way there, Cronauer and Garlic's jeep runs over a landmine, and they flee into the jungle, being pursued by some VC. It's then that Twan arrives in a borrowed car and gets them to an open area where they're spotted by a chopper and then picked up. When Cronauer returns to the office, he is told by Dickerson that he's not only been pulled off the air, but he's being sent home. He is being given an honorable discharge, but the reason he's sent home is the is Tuan. Tuan's real name is Fan Duck Toe, and he's, he is a VC. He is not only a VC... He is also a VC who's responsible for the bombing of Jimmy Wands earlier in the movie. Cronauer had no idea, but this isn't something that can be defended. This is something that even Taylor can't defend, and he has to let Cronauer go. Taylor does get one in for for Cronauer. Uh, he tells Dickerson because that uh, instead of keeping him in Vietnam, he's not discharging him, but he's going to send him to Guam because Dickerson's just generally a mean, mean person and deserves some sort of something, some retribution, some consequences for what he did to Adrian Cronauer. Cronauer leaves the station and he finds Trin and he demands that she tell him where her brother is. When Tuan shows up, he chases after him and then Tuan yells that the United States has helped kill his whole family and he's made enemies of the people of Vietnam, and then he runs off. Before Cronauer leaves Vietnam, he fulfills a promise to his English classes to play baseball with them, and then he gets on a plane, but not before giving Garlic a tape of his last broadcast. Good morning, Vietnam. This is Eddie Garlic coming to you live from AFRS, Armed Forces Radio Saigon. It's 1629 hours here in Saigon. And Airman Adrian Cronauer is going home today. But he left a farewell message for all you guys out there still sweating it out in the fields. So, without further ado, here's a farewell extravaganza. Goodbye, Vietnam! That's right, 
I'm history. I'm out of here. I got the lucky ticket home, baby. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep them wagon rolling raw hard. Yeah, that's right. The final Adrian Cronauer broadcast. And this one is brought to you by our friends at the Pentagon. Remember the people who brought you Korea. That's right, the U.S. Army. If it's being done correctly here or abroad, it's probably not being done by the Army. I heard that. Oh, you're here. Good to see you. I'm here to make sure you don't say anything controversial. Speaking of things controversial, is it true that there is a marijuana problem here in Vietnam? No, it's not a problem. Everybody has it. I don't know, Adrian. Leo, Leo. Adrian, take care of yourself. I just want you to know one thing. If you're going to be dressing in civilian clothes, don't forget pumps. Thank you, Leo. Thanks for these. Oh, these are special. The ruby slippers, Adrian. Put these on and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home and you can be there. So, uh, Williams received a Golden Globe for this performance. He was also nominated for an Oscar. He lost out to Michael Douglas, uh, who was who would win his for his role as Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, which was directed by Platoon director Oliver Stone. Good Morning Vietnam is a movie is widely acclaimed. It even helped uh, the song "What a Wonderful World," which is originally released back released back in 1967. And it hit number one back back then, but um, it, this put it back on the charts. It peaked at number 32 in 1987. Which, by the way, interestingly enough, the use of the song in the movie is a chronological or an, or an anachronism. The filmmakers put it in there, essentially not realizing that the song was written two years after the movie takes place, because the movie takes place in 1965, and that's because when that's when Cronauer was in Vietnam on on his tour. So, I don't know. I'll just I can I think we can all give it a pass because a you really have to dig to understand that's what happened, or you have to have been there and remembered that specific piece of trivia. And it's a really really great song. Now, I, I this is one of those things where after the song was used in the movie, it became popular. It got played on the radio. And then it started popping up in a number of other places, such as commercials, other movies, TV shows, and things like that. And it definitely has something to do with the fact that it did get popular again in the late 1980s. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful song, but it its overuse is just one of those things that, uh, that I think that a number of people in my generation can attest to bearing witness to. But... Um, this show's not about my opinion on a Louis Armstrong song from 1967. I'm talking about the movie. And the movie, um, it was really popular in the late 80s. Uh, so much so that when it came out on video, they would run commercials for it. And it would be like, own it today. And I remember one commercial where there was a, like an uh, APC with a bunch of guys like wait, they were supposed to be waving at Cronauer. It's from that scene where he meets the first infantry division, and they're uh, they're pulling away and they're waving at him because he did the thing, you know, he did the performance and stuff. But like they they badly put the copies of Good Morning Vietnam on VHS like in their hands, so it looks like they're waving the video cassettes, and it's like badly done because it's like late '80s stuff, but. Um, I just distinctly remember that move, that commercial being on television, and in um, the the coming attractions portions of other movies that I owned. You know, when back in the day, when you would uh, you would put in a movie, and there'd be like you know ten, fifteen minutes worth of 
coming soon to video previews uh, that you ended having to fast forward through. And honestly, this was really around the time where you just started to see advertisements for movies on video. You didn't really see them prior to this. Uh, there weren't a lot of movies that really sold well on video for, for a cheaper price. Top Gun, I believe, was one of them, definitely. I, I talked about that on another podcast, an old episode of uh, Origin Story, which I did over at Pop Culture Affidavit. And then, of course, in a couple of years, Batman would come out. And then when Batman came out on video, that was huge. That was that was like really just this era starting to hit its stride. And that was the first that was I would say a lot of people would say that was one of the first blockbuster, no pun intended, video releases that um, that made a ton of money like that. Where like everybody had a copy of Batman. But with Good Morning Vietnam, it was still another movie that was that was highly advertised and, and probably sold this fair amount of copies. I mean, my parents have a copy on VHS. I'm pretty sure they managed to get it for probably about twenty or twenty-five dollars because we were members of the Columbia House Video Club, or it was called CVS Video Club back then. But they never paid eighty dollars for a movie. They would wait until the movie dropped in price to all the way to like nineteen ninety-five and. Uh, they took advantage of the hey, you know, pay a dollar for six of them or whatever. So you know that that was the uh, that was the movie. My memory of the movie coming out, and my memory of the movie coming out on video, and I never saw it in the theater. I saw it on video once my parents got it and saw it like several times over, and really, really, really enjoyed the Robin Williams comedic styling parts back then. Mainly because uh, probably around the time I was like in junior high. And, and this is really a, a, a conversation for a totally other podcast episode. But um, one of the most influential comedic performances, stand-up comedic performances in my life, was his um, comedy special that was filmed at the Metropolitan Opera House. I think it was like Live in the Met or Robin Williams of the Met or something to that extent. And uh, I, I rented it. I rented it from Sales Video Empire as I, as I did all my movies. And watched it my dad and I watched it and I watched it and you know I didn't get every joke and there were there were there are jokes back then that don't work now but man that was was some of the first adult comedy that I'd ever seen where like people were actually like cursing and um on a level that was also very very smart it was also very very smart and uh and I always loved you know I love Robin Williams I love the kind of the manic delivery he had so Seeing that and then seeing this, um, I I loved it at the time. And watching it again for the first time in, God, it must be 20 years. I don't think I've seen this movie in a very, very long time. I, I, I remember why I liked all the funny, funny bits. Now, as I'm reviewing this movie for this podcast, the question I have to ask myself is basically, does this hold up? Has Good Morning Vietnam or... More specifically, Williams' comedy stood the test of time. And my answer is going to be both yes and no. Uh, It is still a very funny movie. Williams does show that not only was he a very funny comedian, but he's also a very good actor. It's not easy for comics to switch back and forth from comedy to drama or comedy to action when a script calls for it. Even Eddie Murphy was only so good at that. 
Williams does a solid job of it here. I think it's because of the way that he was very good at expressing frustration and sadness just through facial expressions. And you really get how pained he is in those scenes where he has to confront Twan, he has to confront all of the, the bad of the war, which really, really helped him. And, and uh, moreover, you could tell he knew how to act, which is not something you get out of every uh, comedian. Now, granted, Williams got his start in television. He played Mork in, on Mork and Mindy. He, he, um, and he'd also been in a number of movies. Now, his movie resume was not as impressive as that television resume, and it was not as impressive as his stand-up comedy was. Uh, I mean, Popeye has its fans. He did get acclaim for his role in The World According to Garp. He would go on to win an Oscar for uh, Best Supporting Actor Oscar for uh, Goodwill Hunting in the late 1990s. But if you look at his 1980s resume in terms of film, prior to Good Morning Vietnam, Robin Williams has Moscow and the Hudson, The Best of Times, Club Paradise. I mean, these movies aren't awful. The Best of Times has its moments. In fact, it was one of those that I've seen that movie like a few times for some reason. Uh, and it's, it, you know, like I said, it's a charming movie. I've never seen Club Paradise. But these aren't, like, these are not three comedies from the 80s that are considered, like, the greatest comedies of the decade. These aren't Ghostbusters and Beverly Hills Cop and, well, Good Morning Vietnam, you know? Like, so this really did put him on the map in a way that he hadn't been prior to this. And and based on um, how well the movie did, how well Williams' performances were rendered, even beyond the plot of the movie, uh, this definitely made him a viable leading man or a leading comedic actor. And he would go on to other box office success. He would go on to Dead Poets Society right after this, which is not as much as a funny role even though he's it's got his moments but it was a, definitely a, a dramatic role that um he played very very well and uh then mrs doubtfire of course mrs doubtfire being like the blockbuster of his career after this so it took him to the next level and i think the movie needs to be recognized for that as does the story which provides enough drama for the plot to keep going but what I like about the story and what I like about the pacing of the movie and what Levinson and Williams did was that they balanced the drama and the comedy well enough that the film didn't fall into the trap of so many 1980s comedies, which is an, a pretty anemic third act because the plot had to get resolved and the plot actually gets in the way of the comedy. So the movie actually stops being funny about two-thirds of the way in because they have to wrap it up. And I'm not going to say that it works 100% of the way. Like I said, it's like, you know, yes or no. Did, did I think this holds up? Some of the dramatic stuff is a little heavy-handed. I like Barry Levinson as a director. Uh, Diner is a great movie, and it's a great movie that I intend to cover over on another podcast, probably called Pop Culture Affidavit, or, um, or another movie-based one or two that I've been uh, invited on, but we just need to get our stuff together. But here, uh, he's a little too exact with all the problems that can happen in the movie. Uh, Levinson is a little too on point, on the point, on the nose, especially in that speech that Tuan gives to Cronauer at the end. 
I understand what he's saying. Um, you know, he's he he goes into this whole thing about how the Americans are responsible for his family's death, uh, how the Americans are making the war wor- war worse, but it could have been a little more subtle because it comes off as as borderline preachy because it essentially stops everything and listen to me. It's it's uh, it, it's a monologue more than anything. Know about the bombing, Sparky. No wonder you hauled ass. You, my friend. I trusted you. You hear me? You not hear man, Colonel. You take a stupid side. Now you have to go. It's better off. That's not the fucking point! You understand me? I fought to get you into that bar, and then you blow the fucking place up! Listen, I gave you my friendship and my trust, and now they tell me that my best friend is the goddamn enemy. Enemy? What is enemy? You claim my own people so many miles from your home. We're not the enemy. You the enemy. You used me to kill two people. Two people died in that fucking bar. Big fucking deal. My mother is dead. And my other brother, who be 29 years old, he dead. Shot by American. My neighbor, dead. His wife, dead. Why? Because we're not human to them. We're only little enemies. And I'm stupid enough to save your bullshit life, I don't lie. months in Saigon, my best friend turns out to be a VC. This will not look good on a resume! And I understand it. I understand that you you want to present these two sides and present Kronauer as a guy who's really figuring this out for himself you know he was a dj and and all of a sudden you know he's thrust into this situation and he is seeing another side that he didn't get to see or and and you know he he has to make his own decision whether or not they're right or wrong and 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 levinson i think i'm going to say that levinson wants you to make a decision whether or not you're right or wrong although he like i said he might be playing with a little too heavy of a hand here but this you also don't want this to become missing in action and I mean that in the way that the Asian characters are evil, or if they're not evil, they're sleazy. And if so, that's why he has Twan say this, and that's why he says that. You know why? If you think about it, his logic makes sense, regardless of the f- of whether or not you agree with him. 
This police action, as it was known at the time, was an intervention into another country's civil war, and a number of civilians and citizens get caught in the middle. Robba Williams now has as much comedic subtlety as Sylvester Stallone had dramatic subtlety, but it works because of Williams, even though there are parts of it that don't. Like I said, Williams, like I said in the beginning, Williams knew how to act with his face, and I think that saves the scene, which is supposed to be this dramatic high point, but could topple over into preachy, cheesy, speechifying on the t- on the part of the character. I think Williams kind of letting it happen and, and, and acting the way he does uh, saves it. And then we have a scene after that with the baseball game, and that saves it because it shows that he's not like walking away from Vietnam alone or destroyed or anything. And uh, he had forged bonds, and it just showed the humanity behind what was going on in the war, aside from just the political argument and and uh, and the the anger as well. We get to see some positive in with the negative, which is not something you often get in a Vietnam War film. And that's why I did want to cover this, because I've covered Platoon, I've covered the film in Country, I've covered First Blood, I've covered Rambo, I've covered Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket. There's humor in those movies, but it's often dark. And there's very little to cheer about. And there's very little to be positive about. Now, granted, we're talking about the Vietnam War here. So I'm not exactly going to be like, you know, we need to be rah-rah about it. But at the same time, there's something refreshing about this movie. And it almost loses you because of this scene, as necessary as it might be. Because, and granted, I'm getting fussy here. You know, I'm trying to find things about this that I can criticize. Because... Because what you have here is, but what you have here is, Twan, you have this angry young man character. It is a character that fits the setting and the conflict. And he he does genuinely like Adrian Cronauer because he saves his life twice. He saves him by getting him out of the bar and he saves him by picking him up on the road. Granted, and it's been 30 years since they came out. So, you know, like I said, You'll sit down, and you'll see this, and you'll see the comedic stylings of Robin Williams, and you will remember how good this movie is. And I actually think you'll miss this type of movie. Um, It's not a family comedy, like I said. It's an R rating. It's got an R rating for a reason. But, you know... There's something about this that makes it stand up, and makes it hold up, and makes it... um, Better than some of the more disposable hits of the last 10 or 20 years. I mean, look, I, 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 I'm I, like one of the few people who actually didn't like The Hangover. I just, I, I kept watching this movie and thinking to myself, am I supposed to be laughing at this because I just didn't find it funny? Um, and there were a lot of clones of The Hangover that came out since then. But, you know, aside from maybe a couple of the Judd Apatow flicks, especially like the 40-year-old Virgin there's not a lot of those that that lend themselves to the timelessness and the feeling of something special that Good Morning Vietnam has. And again, this is conjecture on my part. You might completely disagree with me, which is fine, but I'm going to say that, you know, 
Williams is the star of the show, and and Levinson's a capable director, even though he gets heavy-handed at times, but the rest of the cast is like really, really good. And that's, they really do elevate this movie. You've got Forrest Whitaker, who's a great sidekick. Robert, Robert Wool's Robert Wool. I mean, he's always going to be Robert Wool and whatever you see him in, but you got Bruno Kirby and JT Walsh, two excellent character actors, both of whom were gone too soon. And they do a great job as the film's antagonists. Uh, Kirby plays Hauk as this guy who really, really thinks he's funny. He genuinely thinks he's hilarious. He's like, he, he even says, like, you know, I know comedy, but he's he's not. He's not funny, and he basically ends up being butthurt that Cronauer is so popular and everybody thinks that, you know, he's funnier than, you know, than Hauk. And then J.T. Walsh plays Dickerson as a flat-out jerk. But, like, as one of those people who is not, like, a loud, yelling scumbag, just this sort of, like, you know, he yells from time to time, but this sort of just, like, snide, mean person who really crosses the line by, quote, innocently sending Cronauer into dangerous territory. And it's... it's it's uptight and it's nasty and it's even worse than like the Biff Tannen type of bully. And he plays it really well. Um, Cause JT Walsh had a really good sort of stoic expression that he could do. And it really, really helped him here. So as I've kind of rambled on for the last, you know, however many minutes about it, in Good Morning Vietnam, you have a pretty well done movie, and and one you know one that can be heavy handed at times, but it mixes drama and comedy well. And I would say it's a film that you put up there with what you consider the great films about the Vietnam War. If for nothing else, then it's unique in its approach. It tells a story against the backdrop of the time when the war was escalating, and it uses comedy to do it. So if you haven't seen it, I would rent it both as a film and as a great illustration of the work of Robin Williams. I'll be back in a bit with some information on the real Adrian Cronauer. Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogel. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Sprouse? Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. <sighs> I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. Good morning, Vietnam. It's just a smidgen past five after six, 
and here we go with another day's version of the Don Buster Show from Armed Forces Radio. I'm Airman Adrian Cronauer, and for the next four hours, we've got the best in popular music for you here, so let's get started right now with music. So, as you know, if you are a regular listener to my show, I try to provide some historical context to the fiction that I'm looking at whenever it is available. Or, I will give you some information about one month or a span of months during the Vietnam War. Good Morning Vietnam, while obviously not an issue of the comic, definitely bears some examination in this regard because Adrian Karnauer is a real person. And this has some basis in reality. However, the film more or less plays fast and loose with the actual history. Yes, Cronauer was a disc jockey for the AFRS in 1965-1966, and he hosted what was called the Dawn Buster Radio Show. But as he recalls, he didn't do much of anything that Robin Williams had the fictitious Cronauer do in the film. According to him, that would have probably got him more or less thrown in prison. But in what I've read, Cronauer doesn't seem too terribly upset at the film, even if it's extremely loosely based on his experiences. Adrian Cronauer was more uh, deadpan, as not as manic as Williams when it came to his delivery, and has said that in terms of any friction with his higher-ups, quote, I was faced with more apathy than opposition. That meant I wasn't doing exactly what Robin Williams did. He did more a lot of one-liners. Mine was more situational humor. And Cronauer has also said that the only thing that is realistic about the storyline with Tuan is in the VC was that he witnessed but was not involved in the bombing of the restaurant that's depicted in the film. He left Vietnam in 1966 not because he was honorably discharged or court-martialed or anything like that. It was simply because his tour ended. Uh, after the war, Cronauer, who's a lifelong Republican, went on to work as the assistant director of the Pentagon's POW MIA office and also worked on uh, both the George W. Bush campaigns in 20, 2000 and 2004. An interesting note of history, by the way, of the AFRS in Vietnam that's tangentially related to Cronauer is that in 1968-1969, another famous personality was on the air in Vietnam, and that is... Pat Sajak. Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show at 18 minutes before 7 o'clock. This is Army Specialist Pat Sajak busting the dawn on a Thursday morning. 10 minutes of AFA news and sports coming up on the hour. Right now, we present Sergio Mendez, Brazil 66, their famous beat about the constant rain. Uh, the Real of Fortune host recounted his days in Vietnam in the summer of 2014 issue of On Patrol the USO magazine. Here's what he had to say, just a little bit. I'll, I'll post the article to the um, to the show notes so you can read the whole thing, but he, he basically says, um, I was an Army Specialist 5th Class who had joined the service, been trained as a clerk typist, was sent to Vietnam as a finance clerk, and after repeated attempts had been transferred to Saigon to be a disc jockey as I had been in civilian life. And the Army can work in mysterious ways. I used to be, feel a bit guilty about my relatively soft duty. After all, I was billeted in a hotel and there were plenty of nice restaurants around, but I always felt a little better when I met guys who came into town from the field and thanked us for bringing them a little bit of home. 
I always thought it strange that they should be thanking me, given what so many of them were going through on a daily basis, but they reminded me of the importance of providing entertainment to those who serve, something the USO knows very well. To this day, my fellow vets from that era repeat those thank yous, and it's really very humbling. My respect for those who serve has stayed with me throughout my life, and my time in the military, particularly my time in Vietnam, are among those things in my life of which I'm most proud. Uh, he talks about how he did talk about how uh, it's one of the reasons they do uh, the Military Families Week and, and military feature shows on Wheel of Fortune. And he says, um, "This is uh, this is an interesting little story he has here. While I'm proud of my service, there's one small incident that fills me more than a little bit of embarrassment. I haven't told the story often, but I thought this might be a good time to unburden myself of this terrible secret. And it happened during Christmas time in 1969." President Richard Nixon had taken office in January of that year and was preparing to make his first holiday address to the nation as President of the United States. In those days, there was no technology to allow for live television coverage to Southeast Asia, so the address was delivered to us by radio. But because of the time difference, Nixon's primetime address was to take place during my morning show. The process was a simple one. While I was playing records, yes, records, and delivering snappy patter, I was monitoring CBS News through a pair of headsets. When it came time for the president to start a speech, I would hear him being introduced through those headsets. Right on schedule, the CBS announcer began his introduction. I broke into the music I was playing to announce the most important tone I could muster. We now go to Washington for an address by President Nixon, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. All was going well. I flipped the switch to bring the CBS feed to radios throughout Vietnam, and the president began his speech. I don't remember what a, much about what he said, but I was effective and occasionally moving, and by the time he was wrapping up, I felt he had done a very nice job. When he came to the end and began shuffling the papers in front of him, I flipped the switch in the other direction, and again, in my best announcer's voice, I told everyone they had been listening to the commander-in-chief, and it was back to business of entertainment. After I started the next record, I wanted to hear what the CBS announcers back home were saying about the speech we had just heard. Since we didn't carry the post-speech analysis, I flipped back to CBS feed in the studio where, to my horror, I discovered they weren't discussing the speech because the president was still speaking. Apparently, what I deemed to be an effective close was merely an effective pause, and his paper shuffling was nothing more than a short break. To make matters worse, I heard Nixon say, and now I'd like to speak directly to the men and women serving our country in Vietnam. To say the least, I had a quick decision to make. Should I jump back on the air and confess that I had cut off the leader of the free world in the middle of his address, or should I just keep playing music and hope for the best? It was as if a little angel was perched on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. The president was speaking. It was my duty to reconnect him. But I had to admit that the devil was making some good points. His main argument went this way because CBS feed was coming directly into the AFVN studio and I was the only one monitoring it. I was literally the only human being in the world who realized that the people the president thought he was speaking to couldn't actually hear him. So really, what was the harm? True, he was sending holiday greetings to the troops and promising to bring them home soon, but they were already listening to the 1910 Fruit Gum Company sing 1-2-3 Red Light. Heck, now I'd be cutting off that fine song in the middle, and two wrongs don't make a right, do they? And by the time I explain what had happened, he might be finished anyway. In short, the devil made me not do it. So it is with pain and embarrassment that I confess that to my comrades in Vietnam that my comrades in Vietnam never heard the president's words 
to them back in 1969. And uh, he says, so very belatedly, I want you all to know that Richard M. Nixon wishes you a very Merry Christmas there. I feel better. So that was Pat Sajak in his own words in a, in a summer 2014 issue of On Patrol, which is the official magazine of the USO. And like I said, I will uh, link to the full article there. Um, and that'll do it for uh, Good Morning Vietnam as well as this episode of In Country. Uh, next time I'm going to be back with the nom number 70. It's the start of another three-part storyline as well as, and I'll have historical context for March of 1972. Until then, please don't forget to leave feedback and reviews or drop me a line that you'd like to have right on the air. Uh, don't forget to, to like the Facebook page, uh, In Country, In Country Podcast. And uh, also, I am on Twitter under Pop Culture Affidavit, which is at PopAff, at P-O-P-A-F-F. And you can follow any updates I have about this podcast by other podcast as well. Um, until then, thanks very much for listening and take care. To myself, what a wonderful world. You have reached the end of another episode of In Country. All stories and characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and all other media referenced are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. Show notes and extras can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanzacore of Milan, Italy. Please support this podcast and all the other Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com anytime you shop. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for the latest chapter in the saga of The Nom. What a wonderful